Hello, and welcome back to the Upper Bowl GM Podcast. As always, it is your host, Nick Zararis, and today we're going to unpack everything that happened over the sports weekend. Going to do my best to keep this nice and concise, give you the broad strokes, everything you need to know going into the week. A couple of exciting things happened, some circus things happened, some unfortunate things happened. But before I get to today's show... For the normal listeners, you guys know, got to take care of this stuff. For anybody who might be listening for the first time, if you're a new listener, there's a few things you can do to help support the show that really, really means a lot, doesn't take a lot of time. Number one, signal boost the show. Wherever you see it, help other people find it, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, wherever. Share it so other people can find it. Talk about it word of mouth. Spread the word. We're trying to make sports discourse better because... God is sports discourse bad, and it makes the discourse bad on a number of levels because the professional sports media is bad. People regurgitate the talking points they hear on TV, on radio, on other more mainstream podcasts, and that's why discourse in sports is irrevocably broken and probably always will be, to completely honest with you. Next, after that, if you've signal boosted the show, you could subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy, whether it be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, all the major podcasting platforms, we are on there. After that, I do have to say, if you do use an Apple device because Apple controls the world, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. And then once you've already subscribed, if you go down to the bottom of the show's page, past our recent episodes, you're going to see five clear purple stars. If you hit the one furthest to the right, that's leaving a five-star review. And underneath that is a button with purple letters. It says write a review. If you hit that, leave a written review, that would be great. Take a minute, do that stuff. That helps your content creators. Don't just do that for this podcast. Do that for any podcast you enjoy. Leaving feedback for your creators helps them out a ton. So, we're getting to that sweet spot of the sports calendar. It's not quite as good as my favorite time of the year, which is the spring, where you've got the hockey and basketball playoffs. Baseball's coming back from the dead from the offseason. You've got March Madness in there. You've got the Masters in there. You've got the return of Formula One and NASCAR, where they're kind of both in a nice groove. And and we get the NFL draft in there. I am a big fan of the spring. But right now, we're getting into the really good sweet spot of the calendar because we've got college and the NFL both on the horizon of coming back. And I can't even say that about college because we had college football this weekend. I know the Week Zero games weren't as sexy as they've been in years past. But it was nice to watch some college football. And that's where we're going to start the show on the other side of the drop. See what I did there? I keep doing it. I'm doing the cowherd and the Mike Greenberg, though, trying to get you to keep listening through the little bumper. Even though, you know, this isn't a radio show, you're not going to change the dial because there's a commercial. But it was really nice to watch college football this past weekend. More importantly, it was just nice to watch college game day Saturday morning. It was nice to see Corso back on set. I know Corso gets a lot of shit now in his old age for stammering, repeating himself, not being the punchiest person. Lee Corso is an institution and a national treasure. He has to be on game day as long as he wants to be on game day. That is not someone you can force out. And 
yes, I'm about to rag on game day a little bit from a narrative and discourse perspective because they are part of the propagation of the stupidity that I hear all the time. But it's just so nice to wake up on a Saturday morning with that. And it waking up this time of year during college football season on Saturday mornings, some weekends you will wake up to Formula One qualifying, which we'll talk about at the end. I have that down towards the end of the rundown. That's a little bit more for me just to kind of rant. I know Formula One's foothold here on the podcast isn't as big as the other sports, but I do enjoy talking about it, so I do have some thoughts. But waking up Saturday morning, seeing the desk, they did a nice job of highlighting non-traditional college football powers. They went to a game between two historically black colleges they went to north carolina central against alcorn state and they played that game in atlanta at what used to be turner field you know the stadium where the braves used to play played the game there game day was live from there they had migos which is always funny because whenever migos does tv they give terrible one word answers and they leave the poor interviewer standing there holding the microphone feeling like a college professor where no one wants to participate but The thing I want to touch on here while I'm talking about game day is they have their guys. All of those people on that set, whether it's Herb Street, Pollock, Reese Davis, Corso, now Robert Griffin III made made a spotlight appearance there because he was in town because he was calling the game for ESPN. But ESPN... To some extent, Fox with the big ten with the big noon kickoff show, you get this especially in college football because nobody wants to step on anyone's toes and no one really wants to blame the kids if a coach is struggling over a long period of time. But for three years now, College Game Day has talked up Scott Frost and Nebraska to the point where. The casual college football fan assumes Nebraska might actually be good every single season coming into the year. I still vividly remember, I believe it was three, it might have been two seasons ago, when Ohio State went to Nebraska. The spread was like 14 and a half. It was either 14 and a half or 17 and a half points, Ohio State on the road. And by God, game day was talking about Nebraska and Adrian Martinez in that game like they had a chance against an Ohio State team that was going to go to the playoff. I, I just, I'm never going to understand why people who know better are going to just be nice for the sake of being nice. Because Scott Frost has done nothing in his time at Nebraska to convince you that A, he can win at Nebraska, or B, Nebraska's going in the right direction. They have paid Scott Frost a lot of money for some shitty non-conference wins. That's all they're buying from Scott Frost right now is non-conference wins because when it comes to that Big Ten schedule, they are getting murked. They beat whoever, (laughs) they beat some saps, like they beat um, Penn State last year because Penn State was hopeless. But for all intents and purposes, Nebraska's a free win if you're a halfway decent team in the Big Ten. And College Game Day talks him up. College Game Day does the same thing with Michigan, with Texas, every single year. No, those programs are not back. And I understand you talk about those shows because they have huge alumni and fan bases. And I say those differently because 
especially in those Midwestern regions, there are a lot of people who did not go to those schools who are fans of the team. So that's why when I talk about college football, I will differentiate between alumni and fan bases because they, those are two separate entities. You can be a fan, but not an alumni and vice versa, but obviously, you know. So when we talk about it, you're going to hear me speak pretty candidly about this. Coming into this year, you knew Nebraska was going to be what Nebraska's been the last few years. Very inconsistent, prone to turnovers, no star defensive players, and it's going to be pretty hard to win against good teams. And Illinois, who beat them, Illinois is not a particularly good team. I know Illinois home field advantage. Nebraska was six and a half point favorites in that game, and Illinois won by, I believe, two touchdowns. So this wasn't exactly a close game. No, excuse me, not two touchdowns, eight points, because Nebraska missed a field goal. Yeah, they were coming down the field on side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, it came to me. I had my moment of zen there to recollect. But game day, college football media in general, just they play the hits. They try and drum up excitement for these programs that haven't been good in a while. It's why they still send game day to Tennessee, Alabama, just to have Alabama stomp out Tennessee. I just would like, I would like to see a little bit more realism and honesty out of the college football media coverage we get from ESPN because ESPN, make no mistake, ESPN is going to drive college football discussion forever now because they're going to buy, they are going to become the sole rights holder of the SEC. They're already the sole rights holder for the college football playoff, though that could change if the field expands, more TV networks could get in on the action. But ESPN is going to drive conversation for college football like it does for the NFL and basketball. And it's part of why discourse is so bad is the talking heads do not watch the games. And this is one of the things people who listened to the show early last year when I was still kind of ironing out the kinks and, you know, in the teens and 20s of episodes for the show, the talking heads watch one or two games and they draw their opinions on that. And that's all they do. Stephen A. Smith, he's watching a one o'clock game, a four o'clock game, maybe some of Sunday Night Football, and he's going to sleep. He is not watching every single game. He is not getting the cliff notes. He's not reading columns. He's watching the Giant game at 1. He might watch the Cowboy game at 4 o'clock. And then he'll watch Sunday Night Football. And some, but not all of Sunday Night Football. Because he's got to get to bed because he's got to get up to be at the South Street Seaport studio by 7 o'clock for get up in the for first take. And then to do a tease for get up on get up for first take <laughs> to keep people watching. Because no one actually watches get up because no one cares what Mike Greenberg has to say about football. That's my that's my major gripe here when it comes to football season is there is so much bad discourse out there and it it it's demoralizing as a content creator to see so many talented people you know putting out amazing stuff for free or for less than they get they deserve to be getting paid when there are people getting paid a ton of money to just talk with no substance they they did a whole bit on this on the Dan Patrick show on Friday where they were. Uh, talking about quarterback competitions and how half the time when they go to a, a live shot of a reporter at a training camp on ESPN, the reporter adds nothing of substance. It's, well, yeah, that, that's what Bill Belichick's got to decide here. Does he want to go with Mac Jones or does we want to go with Cam Newton? Mac Jones, rookie and experience. Cam Newton, tons of experience, not as good. Yes, we know that. That's why it's a quarterback competition. Tell me something about the competition that might be useful as opposed to there's just a competition. 
I, I think the public is capable of understanding that if there's a competition, there might be differing reasons. Tell me about the recent history. Help me understand what Cam Newton did last year and why they really might be able to start Mac Jones this year. Tell me that Cam Newton's accuracy has waned as he's gotten older because he's always thrown with his upper body and not used his legs. And now that his upper body is a bit more worn out, he doesn't have the arm strength he used to, and his bad mechanics have caught up to him. You know how hard that was? That took 15 seconds to explain why Cam Newton was as accurate last year. It's really not that hard. The public can understand the basics of the, fu- the basic fundamentals of throwing a football. Any schmuck who's ever played catch on Thanksgiving with a football can understand the whole throwing with your legs versus throwing with your upper body. That is why I get so mad when I talk about what people talk about with college football and Nebraska and Michigan, to some degree Penn State, Tennessee, all that stuff. If a team hasn't been good in a while, until they actually do something... I don't really care about the preseason poll. The preseason poll overrates everybody who has national a national foothold. You know how many times Texas has gotten into the top 15 in the last few years with no real hope of actually beating Oklahoma? I, I, I just get so frustrated with the, with the college football landscape. I mean, I checked in. I watched pretty much all of Nebraska-Illinois. I watched some of UCLA-Hawaii. I watched some of the NC Central-Alcorn State game. I, I, I checked in on those three. There are a few weeknight games during the week upcoming, and I'll keep an eye on them. So definitely getting the feeling back. But this upcoming weekend is when we're really going to get down to it, when we actually get some games to be excited about. And then next week, whew, this upcoming weekend, we get one of the best non-conference games to ever open up a college football season September 3rd we are looking at Clemson Georgia North Carolina at I believe it's Bank of America Stadium where the Carolina Panthers play for the I forget who the sponsor is now it used to be Belk I think it's one of them I think it's a Mayo company I think it's like Duke's own Mayo or something like that kickoff game whatever That's going to be very fun. Those are two teams that think they can win the national championship this year. And to come out of the gate with that, that's a pretty exciting one. Penn State at Wisconsin at Camp Randall, that's got some juice. There are really exciting things on the college football schedule. And as we go further and further into this uncertain future, teams are going to try and schedule better non-conference games to make their schedule look more appealing so that if you can beat them and you have two or three conference losses, but, you know, you're ranked like 14th, you still might be able to get your way into the playoff. That's the way teams are starting to think, and you're going to see more of these. I mean, Texas scheduled a home-and-home with Alabama several years ago. That That's the kind of stuff we want to see as college football fans. I don't want to see Alabama play the Citadel. I don't want to see Alabama play South Alabama. There's nothing to gain from that. Yeah, great. Your boosters get to watch your team hang 70. They all bet the over. They win some money. That's not very fun as a football fan. And that, that that's the thing that you got to keep in mind here. Sports are an entertainment business. Yes, we want competition. We want fairness. We, we want entertainment. I, I would like to see more Georgia-Clemson type games. I mean, I know a number of years ago, we had Alabama-Florida State to open the season. That was a flop. I know, I think we get Alabama-Miami this year early in the season as one of the non-conference games. I want to see more competition out of college football, and I want to see the media do a better job covering it. Now, moving on from college football, just real quick NFL notes here. 
J.K. Dobbins, Ravens running back, Ohio State product, one of the better college running backs of the last decade, tore an ACL in the pre third preseason game, which I'm not going to talk too long here about the preseason, but real quick, don't play your starters in the preseason. Uh, you can get guys in there, fine. Give them a handful of snaps just for the game time, just to, you know, you can't be leaving guys in games long, especially, like, I'm watching the Giant-Patriot game right now as I'm recording. I understand Mac Jones is still kind of fighting for the starter's job, but at the same time, you're putting him on the field against the defensive guys on the Giants who are trying to make the team and will be desperately trying to make a play in the backfield on the quarterback, and they're not going to try and hurt Mac Jones, but if they're trying to get there, they're trying to get there, and that's one of the things, man. It's very hard to simulate football and hockey in these kinds of environments where you have guys who know they're going to make the team and you have guys who are hungry to make the team and how those two sides interact with each other where the guys who already know they're on the team aren't going to be pushing that hard. They're going to just want to get the heart rate up, get their legs under them, know the speed the game is at, that kind of thing, just for the repetitions. Not so much about the work. It doesn't matter if Sterling Shepard has a couple catches in the preseason. If, as long as Sterling Shepard is healthy and he's up to game speed, he did what he needed to accomplish during training camp in the preseason. Don't worry about trying to get him up to playing late into these preseason games. Use it to evaluate the depth, the bottom 10, 15 guys on your roster who are fighting for those special teams and depth spots. That is what the preseason is about. J.K. Dobbins was going to be in a timeshare no matter what because the Ravens love Gus Edwards, but him getting hurt, man, it's just not fair for a kid like that who looked pretty damn good down the stretch for the Ravens last year to get hurt in a preseason game. That doesn't matter, and he's going to miss a whole year of his career. Pretty unfair for him. Now the Ravens got to bring someone in. The Deshaun Watson rumor mill is kind of reaching a fever pitch because the season is so close to starting, and there was an assumption that the Texans would trade him before the season started so that whenever a punishment from the NFL did come down, the new team that was acquiring him would know it and be able to plan for it. The trade hasn't happened yet. There's a, Watson is not going to play for Houston. Houston has gone through preseason in the training camp. Tyrod Taylor is going to be their starter. They have Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford. They drafted in the third round. That's what they got. And... That's about it. The Texans are going to be one of the worst NFL teams we've ever seen in the modern era. So we got that going for us as football fans. Going to be betting a lot of point total overs, individual receiving yards, rushing yards, all the fantasy props that you see on FanDuel and DraftKings, those kinds of things. Soon as those go up, you will see them. And I will be making suggestions, and we'll do a gambling episode at some point during the week, either this week or early next week before the Buccaneers and Cowboys kick off football season, and I'll give you my whole spiel and my strategies and my disclaimers. The QB battles, it kind of seems like they've all been settled. It's going to be Teddy Bridgewater in Denver. It's probably going to be Cam Newton in New England. It's going to be Andy Dalton in Chicago. And those, those are really the big ones here. There might be... Other quarterback changes that happened throughout the year, but that kind of seems what it's going to be. Didn't seem like Trey Lance was ever going to be that close to unseating Jimmy Garoppolo, at least in the preseason. I feel like that's an in-season transition there. I feel like all of these will be in-season transitions. Fields will definitely get in there. Mac Jones will get in there. I think Locke will end up getting in there at some point. All those things, 
quarterback battles are always interesting, but teams are NFL teams are pretty boring. It's pretty rare teams don't go with the crusty veteran over the rookie unless they drafted him like number one overall. And even then sometimes like what the Browns did where they drafted Baker Mayfield and still started Tyrod Taylor and it took an injury for him to get in there. Herbert, Tyrod Taylor got hurt. Herbert got in there last year. So all those things. We're 10 days out from football season. We open up Thursday night. Bucks, Cowboys. I'm going to probably end up betting the Cowboys just because I feel like there's going to be a little too much public sentiment on this is the defending Super Bowl champ. We've got to go back and look at the math at defending Super Bowl champs in the kickoff game. Got to go look at the history. Got to look at Tampa. I'll look at Brady in New England. All that stuff. All that good stuff. I do my research. I, I don't make a ton of money yet as someone not fully employed. So when I do have money to bet, we got to be smart with what we're betting. So that's my football, sh- my NFL spiel. That was only a couple minutes. Now, this is the racing part of the show. This is for me to kind of get some thoughts out of my head. The night race at Daytona, two straight years now, has been the best regular season race on the NASCAR calendar. The style of racetrack makes it appointment television. And I'm going to explain it very, very simply and quickly. In a 35, 38, 40 car field, on a track like Daytona, which is two and three quarter miles long, you need to be working with the cars around you to go fast enough. You need the kinetic energy of a row of cars all pushing together with getting sucked up by the car in front of you with the draft and bump bump drafting, like drafting where the car in front of you will slow up a little bit and you, the car behind them, will speed up to give them a tap so they can get a big push of air behind them and go. And that is what makes this race so fun and so dangerous and so chaotic and everything in between, where for most of that race, it was pretty clean, not a lot of cautions early on. And then once you got to that third stage, you know the pushing and shoving is going to get a bit more aggressive because there are going to be people who want to get to the front who aren't in the front. And we saw it. We saw two late yellows because of that pushing, because of the nature of pack racing, which is what I call it now because they got rid of restrictor plates, but the pack racing where you're relying on the cars around you to go faster, it makes the strategy a lot more compelling where it's not just the same team, it's where the same manufacturer, where all the Toyotas, all the Chevys, all the Fords have to come to pit row at the same time because if you don't, you're not going to have enough cars in your group to go fast enough to catch up to the pack, and then you're screwed. That is what makes Daytona so exciting. Ryan Blaney wins a restrictor plate, a super speedway race for the second straight year. He won the summer race at Talladega last year. You know, that Tuesday race, the middle of the day race, because it got rain delayed twice. Ryan Blaney firmly entrenching himself as one of the better competitors in the NASCAR Cup Series. A multi-race winner two years in a row now, I believe. He won two last year, won his third race this year. Really compelling race. Still kind of mad Chase Elliott got wrecked because someone behind him who was desperate for a playoff spot got a little bit too jumpy. But in in those kinds of races where there's that much pushing and shoving, it's hard to get mad because everybody knows that you got to push if you want to go fast enough to catch up to the cars around you. So not going to go too long on NASCAR. The big thing with racing this weekend was what happened with the Belgian Grand Prix for Formula One where they raced they did qualifying saturday morning in pouring rain during the third stage of qualifying really nasty wreck because the rain got heavier not able to go the full i believe it's 15 minutes for qualifying in qualifying session three 
So they had to stop it because of a really bad wreck because the track was drenched. Absolutely downpour, standing rain. Think about driving your streetcar in standing rainwater where there are puddles and how your car will hydroplane because your tires aren't touching the ground. They're in the puddle. That is what's happening, but these cars are going 140, 160, 200 miles an hour. That's why Lando Norris's wreck looks so bad. He barely moved the wheel. The car got out of shape, went into the barrier. Car came apart really nasty. That happened. And then Sunday morning, knew it was going to rain again, woke up knowing it was going to be raining. During the formation lap where the cars drive out of the garage, a lap or two around the track to bring the tires up to temperature and get to the start-finish line. One of the cars wrecks out during that part of the race when they are not even racing Sergio Perez of Red Bull, destroys their his car, ended up being able to fix it because of what I'm about to describe next, but race was scheduled to start at 9 o'clock. They ran one formation lap behind the safety car to start the race where Sergio Perez wrecks out, so they do another two laps behind the safety car, they come back around to the start-finish line. They put up the little tents over the cars. They wait. They wait. They wait. And they spend the better part of three hours on television just showing the cars, people standing around, interviewing drivers, people who work for the teams, talking, listening to the radio chatter between the FIA and the drivers, the teams, trying to go through the rules because there are so many rules about how you do certain things where once a race starts and if you go behind the safety car the race technically starts you only have three hours to run the race you only have two hours of actual race time and it has to be finished within three total hours and there's so many of those little rules set up because you got to finish before sundown you got to finish early enough so that the teams going to the next location can disassemble everything they got to take apart and move everything and get going on the road and all that shit and in a race in a series that made a billion dollars last year in a pandemic they never ran a race they drove three laps four laps behind a safety car they awarded points to the drivers and the teams, half points, because they only ran, excuse me, they only ran the four laps, and that's it. People who paid hundreds of euros to be at the race today did not see a race. People who spent three hours sitting around their TV waiting for a race to start never saw a race. And Formula One's answer was, oh well, sorry, those are the rules. As opposed to using some common sense and realizing Wait, we just fucked over a ton of people. Well, we got to get to the next track. The next track is three hours away by car. You're telling me you couldn't race tomorrow? You're telling me you couldn't find some people to serve as race marshals tomorrow? You're telling me people who drive trucks for a living can't wait one more day that if they wait one more day it'd be absolutely impossible for them to get to the lo next location and set up for the race a day later just mind-numbingly stupid stuff here the kind of shit that drives you up the wall the kind of stuff where someone reminds the teacher that you won't see us tomorrow tomorrow's saturday that kind of shit here like no shit that's true but Let's use some common sense here. You know what they meant. There are wiggle room. You are the sanctioning body. 
you can change the rules whenever you want. That is what is so frustrating here. They dicked a bunch of people out of time on their Sunday. I would have slept another hour. I'm still tired from Saturday. Just frustrating as all hell that, number one, they didn't know the rules to begin with. A number of teams and drivers asking a bunch of questions to the race supervisors and the decision makers and them not knowing and having to go to the rule book and come back to them with answers. Just mind-numbingly stupid shit here from people who should know better. It's a billion-dollar company in a pandemic. They make more money than a billion dollars in a year with fans. That's what's so frustrating about this. I wanted to see some racing. And we haven't even talked about the fact you awarded points for laps not raced competitively. You cannot overtake while there is a safety car out. You're going to... You very well might have decided the driver's championship and maybe the constructor's championship on a race that wasn't run. It's not a race if you can't pass the car in front of you. Max Verstappen got a win today. George Russell got his first career podium today. Lewis Hamilton finished third today. All of those guys themselves would have told you they would have rather run the race or waited or tried to find something out because they want to race and they understand the competition, the competitive nature of the sport. They care about that stuff. It matters to them. And if you come down to it at the end of the year and it's a less than 25-point gap between first and second place, and we're assuming that'll be Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, that's the full point total, 25 points for finishing in first place. If Max wins the full-length spa, his lead would be bigger. Or if Lewis Hamilton could have gotten better than third, if he could have gotten second, if he could have won the race... Might have gotten the lead back in the Drivers' Championship. Lewis Hamilton is going for an 8th Drivers' Championship, which would be the record. Imagine comes up 8 points short, 10 points short of where Verstappen finishes. Unfair and unserious shit from a company that should know better. That is why I am still kind of in a bad mood. And I've been in a bit of a bad mood all day on Sunday. So, the last thing I have down here on my handy-dandy outline. Just really quick... The two New York baseball teams are going in completely opposite trajectories. The Yankees have gotten nuclear hot here in the second half. Their offense has come around. Their pitching has not been perfect, but the starters are getting better. The bullpen has not imploded as much. They just went out to the West Coast, and they handled the A's pretty comfortably. The A's are probably going to be a playoff team. Yankees still a couple games back at Tampa. Not impossible going into September, but not likely looking probably at a wild card game you're probably going to look at yankees red sox or yankees a's white sox definitely going to win that al central rays seem pretty comfortable there unless the jays get insanely hot or seattle or houston's one of the uh, not houston um excuse me anaheim one of those teams that's on the periphery right now has a crazy september something like a 20 and 7 kind of september maybe you get yourself back in the mix but for all intents and purposes, we can say the Yankees are firmly a playoff team. And it's total opposite of the Mets, who are limping through a series against the Nationals team. That's starting Alcides Escobar and Geraldo Parra in the year 2021. Ridiculous shit. Absolutely ridiculous shit that those guys are playing on a baseball team in 2021, and the Mets are having a hard time with them. I went to the Met game on Thursday. It's why there was no podcast on Friday. Mets scored two runs, got the tying run, winning runs on base in the eighth inning. Didn't even get a, a Conforto hits a chopper to short on a pitch a foot inside. Just 
mind-numbingly frustrating shit from the Mets. And the Javi Baez and Lindor, the thumbs down to the fans thing. Here's what I'm going to say. And I'm going to say it very succinctly and very clearly. All the Mets fans want is to be competitive. They want to win some baseball games. They would like to make the playoffs. Those are not unreasonable expectations. I am a booing guy. I will boo if the performance in front of me is bad, even if it's my own team. I know the guys on the team are not my friends. I do not care. If they don't like that they're being booed, they should be playing better. That has been the standard in professional sports for God knows how long. And I don't want to hear it from uh, about how it's classless, it's mean, it's disrespectful. It's only discourse for the Mets because the Mets are losing. When the Yankee fans were mercilessly booing Giancarlo Stanton on opening day this year because he struck out three times, and I saw a, a dozen, a hundred Yankee fans tweeting to DFA Giancarlo Stanton just to see if anyone would take his contract earlier this season, I didn't see anyone, any other Yankee fans rushing to say, hey, come on, they're trying their best. I didn't see that. I see Met fans running to the front of the line to try and be good fans or better fans. Who gives a shit? The team sucks. That's the discussion here. Not that I'm a better fan than you because I don't boo them. The team sucks. They can't score more than three runs without pulling teeth or playing a dog shit team. They cannot hit anybody who throws a curveball. They are a mind-numbingly painful team to watch. The I spent Sunday watching that and... Ho- uh, some preseason football and sitting in a party on Xbox with a couple friends and camera shots of pigeons and uh, Gary Cohen talking about Baby Shark and Geraldo Parr. Just th- the Mets are so putrid. Multiple guys in the lineup with an average below 240. Multiple guys in the lineup with an OPS, which is slugging and on base, below 700. Just painfully bad offensively and leaving their starters with no hope of being successful no shit Marcus Stroman is pissed he has an under 500 record even though he's got an ERA below three he's pitching amazing and the Mets can't score three runs you're damn right people want to boo great Francisco Lindor Javi Baez you're really showing us giving us a thumbs down in August Four games back of first place after going 8-20 in the month of August. You did a terrific job, guys. We're really happy you're having fun on a shitty baseball team. Last time I checked, we were here to win the games. Not to have fun, not to have a nice time, not to make friends. We're here to win some baseball games. When the Mets start winning some baseball games, then they can talk shit. If they have a crazy September and they want to call us miserable pricks, that's fine with me. We are miserable pricks. We just want a winning baseball team. That is just about all the time I'm going to have today. Like I said, just the snapshot things you need to know that happened this weekend in sports. This weekend, I'm going to ramp it up. I'll have some college football. Got an episode locked up for later in the week. I'm going to be talking about the Oakland A's with one of the few Oakland A's fans in existence. And we will have an in-depth discussion about what it is like being a fan of a small market team, best known for a Brad Pitt movie, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Trying to iron out some other guests. Everybody's busy this time of year, man. So many people are pumping out quality content. They don't have time to do other people's shows. So going to try and organize some more stuff for you. Reach out to some people I know who I've had on the show before. Some new guests. Trying to get diversity of opinion. A lot of different types of discussion on the show. And... Thank you for listening. I will see you guys tomorrow.